Good afternoon, good afternoon. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe and healthy out there. This is your host, Jessica Mason. How's everyone doing? And I'm recording on the Brooklyn Free Speech Podcast. Um, co- podcasting while quarantined right now. Um, like I mentioned before, um, you know, cases are going up and down like a heartbeat. So I hope folks are like wearing their masks and doing what they need to do to stay safe out there, washing their hands, et cetera, et cetera. But um, today we are going to talk about real estate and the marketing and when is a good time for folks to come out here and start purchasing and start owning property, you know, start generating wealth again. And I have with me three individuals who will help me, you know, give you guys information. First, I'm going to ask one of our community producers here, Desiree, to start. How are you doing, Des? I'm wonderful today. Thank you for inviting me to be on this podcast. I think it's very important at this time. So I have some statistics for the audience today. According to Credit Union Times, African-American home ownership peaked at 42, well, reached 42.9% in 2019. It actually peaked in 2004 at 49.4. And the lowest it was, was 41.7 in 2016. According to the National Lower Income Housing Coalition, Home ownership have continued to fall for African American um, buyers, and um, which means that we are in a tighter market, uh, a tighter rental market, a rental market where there's a deficit of over 612,000 apartments that are needed to meet the housing requirements of New York. Would you like to weigh on that? Um, I'm Jay Pegram. I'm a real estate broker in New York. And I'm also an associate broker in New York and the borough of the Bronx. Um, I have an office in Manhattan. I've been a broker for 17 years. Um, I'm also a real estate instructor uh, by the state of New York. And I also have a certificate in construction project management uh, from Baruch. And I have a background in communication arts from St. John's University. And I also have a background in uh, telecommunication uh, as a manager at Verizon and also from NYU. And I'm a born and raised New Yorker. And I'm, I'm here and happy to be here. Um, yeah, so if we look at what we've had, I mean, in the broader market, say here in New York City, and what I'm finding for the first half of this year versus the first half of last year. So when we take into consideration that we did have a lockdown or a shelter in place, what I'm finding to be very interesting, and it's a misnomer is that the sales prices are actually up over last year. So I'm looking at New York City median sales price is up at, say, 690000 and last year was 670. However, the number of sales last year that I had for the first half was 18000 and now we're down to 14000 So whatever that is, a 25% decrease. So part of that tells me is that there were a number of sales that were in contract pre-COVID and they're closing now. So what's happening is a lot of people, if you're working as a real estate sales broker like myself, you will have people who will say, well, the price of my house, the median sales price is this much. Why can't I not get this number? And just like a lot of corporations are saying, we're not going to even report for the second quarter, it's probably would be best that we really didn't report for the second quarter either, because that's just like throwing in the garbage. That's all those numbers we can't take into account. It's going to be this quarter right now that we're going to see where there's real activity in COVID. And what I am seeing is, you know, especially looking at another number, like just say for Manhattan, even though we all talk to a Brooklyn audience mostly, you know, if I look at Manhattan in June, 2019, the average sale price was 1.5. Mm. And then now we're looking at June 2020, average sale price is 9.66. Now that has taken a sharper decline than the rest of the overall market because we have people saying, listen, there's nothing open in Manhattan anymore. You know, as we all know, over the years, a lot of people moving to Manhattan want to use it as an adult Disney world. You know, having a place to go, we can go to the theaters, shut down. You know, the restaurant shut down. Uh, the, the institution, the museum shut down. So what's the point in being there? So we are seeing an exodus. Uh, Queens numbers I'm looking at now, they're pretty much 600,000 in 2019, 619 in 2020 for June. But 
the sales volume is down, 552 sales to 939. And looking at Brooklyn, uh, the number of sales for June is 501, 753 this time last year in June 2019, but the sales price is still the same. Now, talking about, you talk about generational wealth, I can give you the real deal, and that's what I'm here for. Buying a single family home, now a lot of people may have read, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and may understand there's something that he said in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Buying a single family home is not necessarily an investment. It's a consumer product. Now let's think about this in reality. Um, I watch CNBC all the time. There's a guy in there by the name of Sully Sullivan, Brian Sullivan, and he's always looking to catch somebody saying that it's not an investment property, a single family home. You apply for a mortgage, maybe 10% down, 3.5% down, and we've seen from the last time people put nothing down and actually get money back. So you apply for a mortgage for a house for $500,000. You get money back. They call them seller concessions. Um, and you get a house for 500000 Let's just say you're good. You do 10% down and you have 450000 Your monthly expenses is going to be roughly 1% of whatever the sale of the house is. So if it's a $500,000 house, a lot of people don't realize this, you're going to carry about $5,000 a month in total expenses. Now, most people just say, well, I just want to worry about what the mortgage broker can tell me. Well, the mortgage broker can tell you your mortgage on $500,000 would be like $2,500. Plus your taxes. All right, your taxes might be $600 a month here in New York City. That's $3,100. You got to eat. <laughs> you got to go to school. You got to put clothes in your body. You got to get to work. Now, even though you're sheltering in place, maybe that expense will go down a little bit. But you're actually paying and applying to the bank for the right to pay their taxes, to pay their water bill that you're using, to upkeep their house, and then maybe after 30 years, if you're good, you get to keep it. Buy a house for $600,000. If we look at trends in market, I look back at, say, 2004, and a lot of people don't remember but when I look at sales charts, we're about 10% higher than the peak before the market crash. So a $600,000 house today was probably around 585, around 2008, right before the market crash. And now we're about that. So it takes its peaks and valleys. So if you bought a house with a $500,000 mortgage, $550,000 mortgage in 2004, 16 years later, it's probably valued about 650. Where's the value? Now, the amount of interest you pay, the first 10 years of your mortgage is interest. If you look at a table, if you pay $600,000 for a house, by the time 30 years ends, you would have paid $1.2 or $1.1 million for that house. Just in mortgage payments, not taxes, not, not water bill, not the penalty for sanitation coming out there in Brooklyn and giving you a ticket for garbage that someone else got for being around the corner at a roadie shop. No, they're talking about just the interest that you're paying in the mortgage, 1.1, 1.2, basically double after 30 years. So here's the math. If your interest rates, which they are very low right now, is 3%, but the rate of inflation is zero, if Home sales are only going up two point. Listen, yeah, they could double up one year, but after a while, home sales are only about two percent, three percent, four percent. You're basically barely keeping up with the price of the home. All of that is illustrating that a single family home is not an investment. So when you ask when is the right time to buy, I think it is perfect for someone who's paying rent and they don't want their rent to increase 10, 20 percent. You know. They're not in a rent-stabilized department or rent-controlled department. Maybe they're fortunate enough to work for the government or have a decent government city job, working for transit, being a police officer, working at a hospital, being a teacher, where you know you may have that job for 20 years, 25 years, and you can get a stable monthly payment, and you can sleep at night, not worrying about the landlord saying, I'm going to jack up your rent because you're being gentrified or I'm not going to take care of anything because I don't want to do it anymore. That time is whenever you have stability in your life 
and you say, my mortgage payment is going to be $4,000 a month for the next 20 years, I could afford to pay $4,000 a month for the next 20 years. And every time you get a raise, you pay off your mortgage quicker. You pay your mortgage off twice a month, not just once a month, because that becomes one extra payment. Whenever you file your taxes, if you file your taxes and you get a rebate, make another payment. You can knock it down to say 20 years instead of 30 years. Every time you get a raise, put that money away and then start looking for another opportunity. That's for people who really don't want to have a three family house, which is what everybody should be looking to do right out the gate. But if you don't want the headaches of having a three family house, and you got security and having employment or an income, let's be sure as people that we're not confusing a job with income. We do that too much. Whenever you say you need income, make sure you're not first thinking a job. How can you get income? And you can get income from a three-family house where you don't have to go to work. Just come to shove, you live down in the basement. And you collect the rent from everybody else that's coming in, and then you go buy the next. And if you're really good, you know, you get your cousin with baby kids to move in there and pay her rent. You know what I mean? And you get that the whole family up in there. You're like, yo, listen, sis, why are you over here in the PJs giving the city your money? You can come over here. I can get you Section 8 qualified. Pay me the money. And I'll help you buy a free family. Correct. There's many ways to do that. So that's to talk about where we are in the state of people, understanding where the market is. That's to understand the difference between wealth building and when the right time is to buy and then how to really build wealth. Look at multifamily building. Sure, no problem. Jay, I just wanted to jump in real quick uh, with something you did say, just mentioned, uh, as far as uh, purchasing uh, a piece of property with more than just one family. And I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry for everyone listening. Uh, my name is Pierre Jean. Uh, I, I currently work for a, a insurance company. Um, uh, like I told Jessica earlier, I do not wish to tell the name. I was, obviously, this is a public forum, so you know they would consider that some type of advertisement. Uh, but like I mentioned to Jessica, you can kind of figure it out if I tell you, you know, I'm a good neighbor and my name is not Jake. So, however you want to take it from there, you can take it. Absolutely agree with you, 155 percent as far as the purchase. If you're going, if you're interested in purchasing a home and you can afford it, uh, my, my direction to you would be, yes, absolutely, look for that two-family home. Um, because again, uh, as far as that additional income that's going to come in from renting whatever unit that you have, uh, sometimes it can be a lifesaver. Um, it, it really can, it, it really will help you out. Um, I've seen it on uh, many occasions. I currently have a home where I actually have uh, two tenants. Um, but I believe I was talking to Desiree uh, not too long ago, and I advised Desiree, I said, you know, that's all fine and dandy, but base-wise, you have to be able to afford the mortgage on your own. And the reason why I say that is because there will come, t there will come times when your tenants won't have that money. And what are you going to do in that particular case? You know, you know is your mortgage not going to be paid for a couple of months while you're waiting on money from your, from your tenants? It shouldn't be that way. So uh, my advice definitely would be, you know, to obviously look for something that you can afford on your own as a two family, three family, something to that nature, whatever you can afford on your own. Definitely, you know, make that move, do it, uh, get that income. Um, and again, as far as uh, generational wealth is concerned, I've always told this to uh, many people. This is uh, the Kennedys didn't become rich overnight. Let me ask you this, where, given where the current housing market is now, where do you foresee it going? Or where do you, you know, anticipate where it might be? Um, well, currently, uh, I'm, I'm actually, I live in the, uh, in the Flatbush, Flatlands area. And uh, currently, I'm seeing a, a ton of construction. Okay. And uh, I can tell you personally, uh, the home that was located directly next door to me um, was sold and taken down. It was completely taken down to the ground. Um, fortunate for me, I was able to kind of finagle through the system and find out what they were going, you know, what they proposed to build next door. Um, and I did find out that they're going to build a four unit, um, a four unit, four level home. 
you know, in a residential area. You know, basically it's a building uh, to the point where there's going to be eight units in that building. Now, you're talking about a home that previously was there that was maybe two families, two family home, and now you're going to convert that to an eight family. Now, you know, where, where's the space for all of this? You know, the rooms I, I, will be I'm closets. Yeah. Well, that, that's definitely one. Uh, but again, as I, as I dug a little bit further, and I'll give you some you know, information as far as how you know, anyone can dig a little further into mm -hmm. you know, what's going on around them, uh, come to find out, they apply for another address. So that one address has now been split into two. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, one side, is, one side of your street is even numbers. The other right. side is odd. Right. Correct? Mm -hmm. okay. And obviously there's numbers, there's numbers missing in between. The city kind of gives them that leeway. If there isn't, if you live, if you're fortunate enough to live on a block where there isn't, uh, I guess, available addresses, it's, it's, it's really simple. A and B. If you, I probably, you've probably run across that quite a bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you'll see like 125 East 34th Street, A, 125, B. You know, it's, 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 it's really simple for them to do. So where do I actually see it? Um, I actually see them, you know, in a lot of instances, I think that they're going to try to price everyone out. That's, that's the way I see it. Um, you know, other people's may not see it that way. But from what I'm gathering and from what I'm seeing, I really think they're, they're pricing everyone out. I'm going to give you a plain example. Now, just like Jay mentioned earlier, the value of your home goes up. Under, everyone understood. Everyone understands. Um, and everyone, you know, is quite happy. Okay, well, the value, the value of my house goes up. If the value of your if a, a value of a home that's located next door to you is sold for a million dollars, what does that make your property worth? Well, what will happen is, is that um, they would do a new assessment. And of course, like you said, and that's what part of the people have um, when we talk about pricing out, and, and sometimes you have the language where people would say, well, you should be happy that the value goes up around you. Correct. And sometimes that's cold language. You know, I would tell you right now, working in my business in real estate, people literally said out of their mouth, you know, you should be happy that white people are moving in. Uh, well, no. You see, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say oh, that. I'm telling you facts. I'm not sitting here going. <laughs> you know, I'm not sitting here to tell you facts. I'm not sitting here to tell you opinions. You know, right. and it's belief that, mm -hmm. unfortunately, it's a real. We have illustration that um, now is it always just based upon based upon someone's race? I mean, look at some place like Stuyvesant Heights, where you do have a lot of influential people who yes. regardless of who moved in there, you have people uh, who've been there since the days of the Underground Railroad, Correct. who fought for that to be a neighboring Crown Heights, who fight for that to be landmarked areas. Correct. So you're right, when one property value goes up, it could have potential uh, increase in your taxes. Um, it could have a potential increase in other items in which people cannot pay, and they are uh, essentially priced out. Now, not to sound like that person and say, oh, well, folks need to, pay. you know, I understand the realities. Some, not all voices are heard. However, if we get more tools to really hit the right button, and sometimes you do, listen, I think the reason why people fight is so that you don't have to have a representative who doesn't look like you show up for you. I mean, that's the biggest part of the fight. You know, you have people like Hattie McDaniels back in the day who have to show up and act like they're a maid looking for a house for someone else. Mm -hmm. okay. Some of that sentiment kind of changed, but it is what it is. But your representative in the communities, no matter who they are, your real elected representative, people have to pay attention. Getting back to what you're saying about building to building, you have to pay attention to the zoning laws. That's correct. Are they changing the zoning in your neighborhood to allow someone to go from a two-family to an eight-family? without you paying attention and you got to be with the zoning board Desiree, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I used to go to the community board meetings and I would just see the developers walk in with their little plans and their drawings and their requests to change you know the variances it's progress for them you know to be able to build higher in a residential neighborhood but how does that impact me as a homeowner who you know is trying to live the American dream build generational wealth I bought this house. How are these developments, you know, impacting my 
bottom line? It's tough because it's very hard to ask your brothers and sisters who may have been in Brooklyn well before the days of Gavin Cato and well before days of whatever else, living in Crown Heights, you know, um, when they're roller skating, shooting, uh, shooting the film, you know, uh, uh, Saturday Night Fever, to turn down someone giving them, you know, $1.5 million cash. <laughs> it's very hard to stop that. It's reality. And I'm not here to say that, you know, this is not an issue in black and brown communities. It's issues in all communities. If you look at Little Russia, as they would say, the peninsula down there by Sheepshead Bay and things of that, they had little houses that they're fighting not to make these large condominiums and these McMansions that people are doing. You know, there's so many people in different neighborhoods throughout Brooklyn who are saying they want to fight Brooklyn, Queens. They're fighting people building, A, the larger homes, and then B, the rezoning for the 20 stories, uh, uh, eight units, homes that changed the whole layout of the building, I mean, of the, of the neighborhood. And part of that is also one, the zoning, two, and this is, this is I have to say, it's found more in other neighborhoods than others, is to respect for historical properties. And there's a backlog, I understand, in City Hall right now of so many different neighborhoods that should be made into landmark preserved neighborhoods, like a Stuyvesant Heights. That would prevent a lot of this from happening, you know? And, you know, that's why you have the Crown Heights extension, Stuyvesant Heights extension. In Harlem, you have, say, the Hamilton Heights extension. There were more neighborhoods that have streets in Queens. And, and you know, Addisley Park in Queens is a landmark, but you have so many different neighborhoods that could be landmark and preserved. And it really is important that we get in touch with our so-called community leaders to make sure that we hold these developers and the city responsible for these uh, developments. Because they're not building condos. They're building free market rentals. The affordable housing has gone down. You know, so we're not getting the 70, 20, 10. Or if we are getting affordable housing, we're not allowing people to get ownership. So how does it impact Desiree? You have 10 houses on a row. They change the zoning from R3, which means that's another thing. If you ever want to look at how to find different zoning, it's a web, website called Zola. Z-O-L-A. It's Zola NYC for New York City. When you go there, and I actually have the page up for myself right now. When you go there, it would tell you the zoning. It would tell you the buildings department information. It would give you who owns the property through ACRIS. It would give you HPD information. It would give you your community districts. Right. And that community district is showing you the census. And you want to talk about real black and white, about affordability? It shows you affordability in each district throughout New York City. And when you look at some neighborhoods, you'll see where people are having 50% of their money go toward rent. And then I'll turn around, look at a district in the middle of Manhattan, 30% of their money goes toward rent. Yeah, like, well, wait, how, how did this happen? If someone in the middle of Manhattan paying two times the rent, a third of their money goes toward rent, and someone else's rent is half their rent, half their money goes toward the rent. When you knock down the value, when you tear those houses down where people own the houses, and you turn that over and make them into development where they're rentals, and you no longer own the neighborhood, mm -hmm. that's the biggest impact. Correct. In saying that, um, this is the problem that I, I pretty much came across, um, which was, yes, I was notified that my neighbor was selling his home. Um, but as far as being able to purchase the home from him, this, is, this was another thing. Because um, obviously, you know, I didn't want them to buy the home, take it down and build the building. My next step would be, well, why don't I buy the home? I, you know, do some renovations in the home and actually use it as a rental property, you know, not tearing it down, but just, you know, just uh, renovating it and, and, and uh, you know, making the income that way. About two friends, you know, we, we kind of sort of came up with, uh, with the amount that we all can, can give. And uh, it, it probably came up to somewhere around, um, I want to say about four to $500,000. Okay. Um, four to $500,000 is not going to buy the home. Not when you're up against someone that comes and knocks on the door and says, here's $1.5 million. You as a homeowner, 
you know, who are you going to sell it to? Your next door neighbor that says, listen, can you give it to me for 600, 700,000? Or you're going to listen to the guy coming with the briefcase or, you know, saying, listen, I'll give it to you for 1.5. See, one thing that crosses my mind when you say something like that, if you come to my house, to my front door and tell me you're offering me 1.5 million for my home cash, Mm -hmm. how much are you going to make off my home? That's the one thing. Cause obviously my house, if you feel, if you're going to offer me that much money in cash and clearly you're going to make two or three times more than this. Oh, and the enemy selling this. To you. That, obviously my home must be much the, more that is, than what you're offering. That me. is another conversation. Yeah. Uh, if you can go, to, if you go to, uh, I believe it's Yimby, Y-I-M-B-Y. Uh, I believe my aunt's address is, 1701, well, used to be, 1701 New Kirk Avenue, either 1701 or 1702. If you put that address in there, into that Yimby site, uh, you will see the before and after pictures. Uh, my aunt uh, lived right on the corner property of uh, New York, uh, New Kirk and East 17th Street. Okay, uh, Little history behind her, it was two-family home, uh, her and her husband there, they, they bought it easily, I don't know, maybe 40, 45 years ago. Uh, her husband passed away and, and um, you know, he was the handyman in the home and, you know, he could repair things and things of that nature. So since he passed away, you know, obviously she wasn't able to keep up with the repairs and, you know, things kind of fell by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Um, so she decided one day that, listen, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to sell the home. Uh, I think I was talking to Desiree about it uh, <laughs> where she decided to sell the home. She put the sign out in front of the house and, she says the sign did not last more than three hours. Okay, not more than three hours. Uh, gentleman came up, didn't go in the house, didn't 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 look at anything. Says I'll offer you one point three million dollars. Of course, being um, West Indian, they just got to, you know got to the country. They worked hard. They 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 worked hard. They got what they 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 got. Uh, someone comes and tells you one point three. It's the sky opened up and, you know, the sun is shining and, oh, we've seen brighter days. Oh, my gosh, this is it. This, this is it. The promised land. You know, everyone except for me. Because basically when they, they said, oh, did you, did you hear what, what auntie said? I said, yeah. She said, well, 1.3, oh, my gosh. I said, I'm going to be quite honest with you. It's not, it's not any money. It's not. And, uh, you know, oh, you, you got to be kidding me. You're crazy. I was like, it's not a lot of money. In this day and age, $1.3 million is not a lot of money. Trust me when I tell you. But, you know, they didn't want to listen. Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. So, right, you know, no problem. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not. Uh, long story short, they took the house down. And uh, I don't know, Jay, did you see the picture? What, what's is there? that a building that I saw? Like a small little high rise building on the corner? Yes. That's what I saw. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I tell you what I'm saying, and this is where we speak about the educational thing, uh, aspect of it. Um, I'm seeing that first the person, and I mean this is public record, so I, I, uh, uh, um, uh, Joseph and Marie, right? That's their name, Marie yes. and Joseph. Right? I see that they were. Uh, 1.3 million, right? Mm-hmm. Now they told them all cash, right? Did they tell them all cash or no? I, 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 again, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that the family kind of dispersed on that note, but uh, you know, the family were like at odds. You know, there, there were people that agreed with me, my family, and there were people that didn't. And the people that didn't, I, I can tell you, I very rarely hear from them. So as far as getting additional information past the 1.3, it, was, it wasn't previous to me as far as cash or not. Do you remember how long it took for them to close the deal? Uh, I believe it took them approximately, oof, I would say two to three months. Okay. Two to three months. So what I'm looking at here is a house that was in contract in October of 2014. It's sold in March of 2015 for 1.3. The developer got a mortgage for 780,000 and they paid the remaining, the other part in cash. As you said, this is where we really all have to be smart. That was zone R6A. So whenever you have a chance um, to look at, and this is probably one of the best tools we can use 
for people to educate themselves on how to do a deal and what they can look at to do a deal. And we'll just use this as a great example. That's a, a really good example to look at. Unfortunate, you know, for that situation, but you'll find another situation again. This is Zola. This started out as a house that, you know, we all saw that became this. And the house originally was this size, okay? But when you notice yeah, the lot size was 50 by 50, even though it's only 4,000 square feet, but they identified this with this lot size. And they also identified the zoning that says R6, which means they knew they could take an R6 and build something like this. Now, this is something that your viewers can learn on their own by simply by going to Zola. And this is your one-stop tool. It gives you everything but the taxes. So I'll take this address. And I could also look at the ownership information through Atlas. Here's the 1.3 million deed. Here are the names. And that's their mortgage, 780. And I could also look at the transaction itself. That's why actually if you knew how long it took, because I can go here and see that there's a contract from October and it closed in March. Now, a lot of times they change this information so that you can't tell how long you've been in contract because they lie a lot about paying all cash, right. but they're really going to get a mortgage. And then over here, you see the signature of the seller and the information here of the buyer. So basically you're saying this guy came to, went to his aunt with $600,000 in his hand and bought a $1.3 million house. Exactly. Parlated into millions. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if four of your friends were able to get your hands and the ability to get a one point three? Now you're right. It is millions. It doesn't just stop there. You know, this is where you learn. This is the learning process. It doesn't just stop there. You know, they had to take a series of other mortgages. They eventually got a mortgage for four point five million, so they could build the property. Okay, so they did start at one three. So you know, like Jessica's saying, like, oh, you can make millions off of me. You're right, but you also need the ability to make this happen, to get access to this, to get the builders, to get the permits, to get the rights, and then also go within the zoning. Right. But this is the website I was telling you about Zola. You come here, you play around with it. It shows you the community district stats. Here's the population, here's the census, everything else, rent burden, 50%. This gives you everything you need. And you can compare it to other districts. You know, you can compare it to say, uh, Cal Gardens, Cobble Hill. It was it's 28% for the people living in Cowell Gardens, Cobble Hill, but the rent burden for where we were over here, whatever it was, 14, is like 50%. Like, these are real numbers. Right. I see you, Jessica. These are real numbers. <laughs> Educational attainment, 37%. And you go again to so just say, comparing to, you know, Cobble Hill and just Cowell Gardens. 72% educational attainment. So some of this, when we're talking about, there's a clear direct correlation between when we're looking at this data, poverty measures, 9.6%, 21%. So when we're looking at really educating our community, we deal with a lot of these numbers to help people understand how to take this house and make it this house. And we have a, we have a village that uh, we have a village that's necessary, you know, to come together in so many different arenas because housing is not only about wealth. You know, a lot of us are suffering from COVID because we're more in high density areas. You know, we have COVID, we have asthma uh, because of the high density. It's like housing itself had stopped a lot of plagues that we had in New York City. So all of that, you know, we have people living in a, in, in a housing project, even if you're not a housing project, just a co-op building, you know, you have that high density area and being able to educate people on different things and sharing knowledge that this is a different path. So when we're looking at, when you were looking at that house, because that's what we know, the developers, you know, you got to look up. What can I build up? Well, I have a question. Suppose you're Pierre and you say, okay, well, I've had enough of living in the city. You know, what's going on with that, first of all? And second of all, I want to get out personally. And if I take the money, right? If they come to me with the money, um, is that a good idea? Because how am I going to ever, yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's my question, you understand? It's definitely, I would say it would be a good idea if you decide to sell your home, I would say move out of state. You can move out of state and live very comfortably. 
out of New York, New York State, New York City, I should say, really say. You know, it, it depends on, on your liking. Um, it depends on what your outlook it will be. Um, you can actually, listen, I mean, it's very realistic. You can take that money that they give you, move down south somewhere, let's say Virginia, you know, North Carolina, Florida. You can probably buy two homes where you can live in one and rent the other. It, it is a possibility. So there's different, there's different avenues that you can uh, you know, actually take if, you're, if you really, really you know, want to get out of here, and, you know, get out of the city and tire of the hustle and bustle. You may be able to go, but guess what? You might not be able to come back. I've run into many a person that you know, took the flight. You know, I'm, I'm gone, I'm going to Atlanta, better life, better living, suburb-wise, you know, a lot of grass. They didn't like it. You know, it was, they give you Atlanta. Don't come outside Atlanta. And I was just about to say that because I know somebody <laughs> who grew up, who spent half their life in Atlanta and half their life um, up here in New York. And Metro Atlanta is great. We, we mm-hmm. thrive there. Everything's awesome. You mm-hmm. go about 10 miles that way outside of Atlanta, about maybe six miles that way outside of Atlanta. Yeah, you're in Clansville for yeah. what I understand. Let me, let me ask you a real question. How many of your friends actually moved to Atlanta at Atlanta. None of them, but they you live right outside of Atlanta. Move to the suburb here. <laughs> You're not even in Atlanta because you can't afford Atlanta. Mm. Atlanta's expensive. Correct. Old Fourth Ward, Southeast Atlanta, Midtown is expensive. The, yes. the numbers work. When you look at whatever they are, the numbers work. If you're taking money from the north and going down south, that was a model that worked for so many years. You know, you 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 work for 30 years, you have your house. That's where wealth building came in. And that's where we know we had so many barriers that people just don't understand. This is not a conversation talking about slavery. This is a conversation during my lifetime when people were not allowed to buy houses. Okay, when it was the covenant to say you cannot sell to African-Americans or Blacks. That's what we're talking about. And you have someone who possibly in the 60s who were able to buy a house for $10,000. And this was before they came up with the new world order when they, they came up with credit cards in the 60s. It, coincidentally, when the civil rights bill came out, so did the change in money. Mm. Yeah, the gold was no longer the standard when credit cards came out. Where mortgages came out, where student, where you were, school tuition was started. School tuition was free in New York City for college, and all of a sudden the public schools became you had to pay for tuition, and then it went to the next step where it's like, oh, I remember paying for St. John's five thousand dollars. Now St. John's is something like fifty thousand dollars. Blame the more. MBAs for that because they had to monetize everything to just right. buy their to monetize. Yeah. So with that yeah. being said, you're taking looking at people saying the way the system was designed was you work somewhere for 30 years, you retire, your house is paid for, you give it to your kids or you sell it and you move down south with that money from up north. But so because so many people are disenfranchised and can't afford and just getting tired and can't work in the system, they're leaving earlier. And you're 100% right. Move your place, lose your age, you can't get back because they will fill that spot. Now, I think a lot of people, going back to the original question about buying opportunities, I strongly believe, this is not data, that we're going to have a time in 2021. might sound crazy. I'm not voting this way. My vote is my business. I'm not voting this way. But if a certain person stays in office, they're going to pump more money and more money and more money and more money into it. It's just going to keep inflating. I think if another person gets in, they may look to correct it even more. It's like, which one do you want to take? But I know in 2021, there can be more opportunities in 2021. Okay, now, when you say that, are these going to be opportunities that were offered to folks in the 90s that put them in a pay toilet in the uh, between 2000 and 2010? You're talking about, we're talking about different as in 2008 to 2012. I mean, think about this. How do we have food lines a day after lockdown, you know, if the economy was so great. You know, the, this, this, the mortgages were at all-time high, uh, credit cards were at all-time high, prices were at all-time highs, and most people were not necessarily gainfully employed. They were working. They didn't have jobs. You know, this Uber is not sustainable. Being 1099 is not sustainable. So we're going to have people who have three family, unfortunately, whenever... If they can keep carrying on this unemployment, 25% of the people are not paying rent. We already have a change in rental laws. How many people are going to 
People already leaving. Like you said, leaving, they're leaving. People who are not from here are leaving already. They're coming up, going to Westchester. They're going back to Ohio. They're going back to Idaho. They're moving to Florida who have these apartments. They don't want to come back. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're gone. So those are going to be even more vacant apartments like Desiree mentioned earlier. And Manhattan was one of the places where we saw, you know, sales drop the most. Bronx increased a little bit. Brooklyn was kind of less stable. Queens was kind of because it's more outdoor space. So now there's people moving up all over the place. But when they stop this forbearance, saying that people don't have to pay their mortgages, you know, that's going to come to an end very soon. And they got to prove why they couldn't pay their mortgage. Now, no one's probably going to get evicted in reality until next year. You know, the, the stage August 20th. So let's put all of this into play. The new rental laws that came out in 2019, the people who haven't been paying rent, they're still asking people to pay their taxes, their real estate taxes, and people just can't afford it. People are leaving New York. Listen, I think there's a smart way to do whatever it is with the police. You know, me as a man, I know if I walk down the street, somebody can ask me for my ID for no reason, so let's be clear. But if all these people want to try to act dumb and let the communities go to hell because they don't want to, you know, because they're talking about they're mad because they're defunding the police and people want to leave and they don't want to give services. We're going to be back to the 70s and that can be an opportunity. And that could be an opportunity for people to buy back their buildings. That can be an opportunity for people to create the HDFCs like you had in the 80s. That can be an opportunity for people to reshore and take back their communities. That can be an opportunity for people to say, we could police our own community. Like in Bed-Stuy, we have your own ambulance corps. You know, like in Crown Heights, we have the ambulance corps. You know, we have a lot of neighborhoods where you have your own police corps. We have your own block watch again. We have your own neighborhood watch again. That could be an opportunity for people who are saying, I am not going to leave this city. I'm born and raised here. I love it. You want to leave. You don't want to collect your rent. And we give this education. People watch your podcast and see how they can take something and make it into something where people have ownership in the block, okay? Now, a lot of banks are not loaning out money for condos. We haven't seen any new condos or condos come out like we saw in the 2000s. All of this new development of rental for the most part. But you take into account COVID, unemployment, all of that. Only thing that's saving it is a 3% mortgage interest rate. That's the only thing that's saving it. The banks are begging people to mortgage houses and mortgage properties. But I really do believe in 2021, we're in for it. Save every nickel and dime you have now for that opportunity. So let me ask you this. Would they be able to turn those rentals into rent to own? And I think some of the best partners for that, you know, would be the faith-based communities. You know, if you get a couple of people to come up as leaders, say that we're able to do this. There's something like community community lenders and community banking lenders and so forth who will work with people. You know, like a lot of the larger banks are not underwriting condos. But if you do something like an old HDFC model to make it less of a co-op, have people come together and say, we can kind of work this out where we could buy this building as a whole and somehow figure out owners or maybe work with a faith-based community like Flake out in Queens. You know what I mean? So, you know, out there in St. Albans where they have a good program. Those are very good partners to work with faith-based communities who are usually the rock. You know, like what's called the CCC. My man's out there getting ready to build a whole community out there. But Nehemiah Houses, I always, I was always like, beautiful model. Why, why couldn't this be replicated? So hopefully, you know, 30 years later, it is going to be. But it, it was there all the time. And keep our neighborhoods vibrant. Is to actually get involved with the church, bring some of that church money, and use it with the government money, which is our taxes. To rebuild our neighborhood. Start waiting for people to come in, like riding on white horses. Right. Nehemiah Houses is a great example, especially over here in the Bronx, where, you know, for years, and then they just, if you go to certain sections of the Bronx that they usually show on television, you know, and they still, people still believe they own, it looks like the Charlotte Houses. You know, it looks, it's probably the most quietest place where people are living there, they're working there. You got city workers, they've been living there for 30 years. They're making good salaries, 150,000, 200,000. And they paid a few hundred, few dollars for their houses that are worth 900, whatever dollars now. Um, of course they paid for that. But the point is it rebuilt community. You seen those houses around that, that picnic they have every year at Katona Park? I was like, that's a beautiful neighborhood. I don't know if it's crime free, but they have beautiful houses all around. Is that? the model you're talking about? Yeah, you talk about a lot of houses. If you go down, especially around the neighborhoods like Woodstock, uh, Morrisania, you know, and then, and then some of them mixed in with some of the um, 
through Jackson Avenue um, historic districts. And they built three family houses, two family houses. So I think we will have an opportunity in 2021. If all these people are talking about they want to leave New York and all these people are saying it's unsafe and they're afraid about looting and they're afraid about this and they don't like Black Lives Matter signs being on Fifth Avenue, it's going to be a real opportunity for the citizens of New York who know how to have a real conversation about policing, a real conversation about neighborhood and wealth building and get involved with faith-based communities again get involved with their local politicians again and come up. You know, if you look at uh, people who are knocking on doors, offering all cash, I'll say about 80% of them come out of Great Neck, right on the border of Queens and Long Island. And they pull money out of a fund. They're not paying all cash. This fund of, of billions of dollars is at the disposal for them to take money out, knock on doors on predominantly black and brown areas. I'm, I'm just saying what it is. Predominantly in East New York, Bed-Stuy, Brownsville, um, Wakefield, Woodlawn. And these happen to be the same areas that are getting hit twice. They have the largest pre-foreclosure concentration. What I said would be, oh no, that's only because they're pre-foreclosure. That's why we're knocking their doors. Okay, that's fine. But there's plenty of articles that have been written that show that black people don't know their wealth and their value, and especially when it comes to, to the property and what they can do with it. And this is what's needed to be able to educate someone, educate communities on how we could trick the game, you know, or play the same game and put funds together where we can have rent to own. There are other programs out there like NACA, NACA, that people use that has a low interest rate of say 2%, and they put you on a program where you save money. And they want to see that you're able to save X amount of dollars over a period and go to classes and home ownership. HPD used to, I'm not sure if they have it, but they have um, classes. They may be online now because of COVID for small business of small building owners so that they can learn simple things about putting 10% away for a rainy day. You know, how to take care of a boiler, how to take care of the water and how to have a little small maintenance. HPD has these resources. Let me ask you guys this, Jay, specifically, because we all spoke about New York City as a whole, but you only mentioned four boroughs. Like, can, can you give me some background information on that borough? Because you never mentioned Staten Island at all. <laughs> I, I, I personally need to take a mortgage just to cross the bridge. It's so expensive. So, <laughs> I, I can only speak a little bit about uh, Staten Island. I do see that it does have some of the same segregation issues as far as housing and attainability. Uh, you know, a lot of folks have to live by public transportation. You know, between Queens and Staten Island, Queens and Staten Island is probably like the rest of the country as far as suburbia. You know, it's very low density. Uh, no, no, I mean, as far as the density levels, uh, they are looking at building by, and they are looking at building, of course, the mall and so forth by the ferry, and they are looking at building other parts out by um, South Beach, you know what I mean, on the other end, and they built out by the old the old dump that they used to have back there. They do want to keep the density levels down. And I would love to see them build all along, you know, a whole bunch of houses and so forth on the waterfront, but they're really doing their best to just keep it low density level. And that's why the bridge course is course what it was what it does to keep people out we venture into staten island quite a bit um you know for work um and, and i agree with you uh, i agree with you jay as far as the uh, the segregation of uh staten island as far as any kind of like opportunities in staten island I, me again being the city person that i am um anything near any type of transportation to get you closer into the city to me would be something that you know everyone would look at you know if you if you live near the ferries you know, perfect opportunity. You know, it's it's a selling point. You know, with anything, it's a selling point. Look, you live here. You're five minutes from the ferry. You can get on the ferry and get to Manhattan in 15 minutes. I mean, it, it is what it is. Here's a caveat, though. Here's a real caveat. I've been thinking about is that the people who need to show up to work physically, mm -hmm. because I there's offices that won't be opening up until January. Correct. And those people who feel they can stay home and not show up, you know, do do Zoom calls, you know, like that. <laughs> Never, you know, think they can hide behind that in Zoom calls and think they don't have to show up at all under the mindset that they can work from anywhere. And I can tell you from a corporate standpoint, that's exactly what they're looking at. You know, they're looking at, uh, because I work from home 
fortunately. I've worked from home before this, this situation. Um, and it, it, it's, a, it's a blessing, uh, but it's also quite difficult. You find yourself working a little harder than you, you normally would do if you were in an office. Does transportation matter as much? You know, I have two apartments that I'm selling, and I'm thinking about all of the advantages of having these apartments. For the, for the ones that need to physically matter. Being by the subway matter. All right, so listen, um, I appreciate your time, all the valuable information you guys have provided. I'm sure my listeners will be grateful. I've been taking notes the whole time. Um, is there any, um, right. you know, last yeah. words or last tidbits you can give before we take off? Uh, the, the last thing I have is... is um, you know, you, you can Google me if anyone ever has any questions. Um, I'll be more than happy to answer any, any questions you may have or any insight. And then sometimes if you have anything to give me, because just getting that address, 1702 Newkirk, I just love getting new information so that I can learn and see how we can all, you know, really take advantage and capitalize and just expand out of just looking right here at a house and looking up or looking how we could do, you know, bigger you know how we can possibly get a contract to build communities you know what i mean it's a lot of contractors come from outside the community how you get your mbwe and how you get your contract to be able to get bonds and, and get into the construction field where we could build our own community so there's so much more to uh real estate than just getting that simple apartment that we as a community can and will expand upon so thank you oh thank you pierre great you know speaking to you guys today um I hope uh, I brought some type of uh, content to the conversation, uh, my experiences, uh, you know, things of that nature. Uh, again, uh, Desiree, I'll probably see you at the park. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we'll definitely keep in touch. Um, if there's any questions that you might have, um, I'm sure, uh, Jessica, you have my, my email. Uh, you can always email me. You can always, you know, shoot me a text, whatever have you. Uh, again, I, I am in the insurance business. Um, well, I can't, I, say, I can't say business, I'm not gonna say business. Uh, I'm actually an adjuster. My position is what they call the large loss position uh, as far as uh, home ownership is concerned. So if you see me, that means you can no longer live within the home. And uh, my job is to actually go into the home and measure everything out from top to bottom. So, you know, that's my little experience that I, I bring to this conversation is that, you know, I, I've seen homes uh, totally destroyed, just totally destroyed from top to bottom, and, and I've seen them rebuilt. Uh, you know, and and I know what it takes. Uh, I know contractors. I know I know a lot of different trades. So you know, and what these things cost. You know, and so I, I kind of get the feel of everything that everyone is you know kind of going through. Um, but on a corporate side of things, and 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 how to rebuild, and and how to you know basically grow wealth. Because uh, like I said, I see it every day every day thanks pierre i definitely appreciate all of that des well i just want to say thank you to you know everyone on the panel the reason i really wanted to bring to be a part of this is because you know much there's been so many times in the past where you know people walked in knowing um with not, not knowledge already and kind of gypped other people that when i was talking to pierre and he was telling me the stories about how his he was approached um, I realized that this was a conversation that was timely. We needed him to talk about his real life experience and we also needed a real estate professional. And so we have that today and hopefully we'll be able to do this again about another subject. Definitely, definitely. I appreciate all of you guys. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being a part of it. Folks listening, I hope you, you know, were listening and were able to take this very valuable information and make it work for you as best you can, okay? Take care, stay safe, stay healthy.